Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have a part of your life recorded in the Bible? I, I've wondered about that. Um, because the Bible is a very honest book, right? As we say, it uh, records people warts and all, right? And so uh, if part of my life ended up in the Bible, uh, I, I would hope that it would be a good part, right? Where I was being faithful and loving and servant-hearted, but there's a really good chance it would be one of those moments you wish you could forget and that other people didn't even have to know about, right? You think about some of the people in the Bible uh, whose, whose lives are recorded there. Oftentimes, even when they do really good things, what we remember is not their best moment, Right? So think about Joseph in the Old Testament, for example. Joseph was thrown into a pit by his brothers. At least one of his brothers wanted to kill him. But another brother argued him into just selling him as a slave, which is better, but not a lot. Right? And Joseph, uh, later in Egypt, his brothers came to buy food, and they found out who he was, and he forgave them. And Joseph was a man of sterling character who resisted temptation. But what do we remember Joseph for? We remember him for his fancy coat because he was the favorite brother. And maybe for what seems to be a tactless moment where he shares with his whole family the dream he had where they all bowed down to him. Not his best moment, right? But that's part of what he's remembered for. Or think about Martha. You know, Martha from the Old Testament, Mary and Martha, or from the New Testament, Mary and Martha were sisters of Lazarus, right? And Jesus was close to them and their family. We, we don't often think about the fact that Martha made a confession about Jesus that's on par with Peter's great confession. Remember when Peter is asked, you know, who do you say that I am by Jesus? And he says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's like a, an apex of the New Testament. Well, similarly, Martha said to Jesus, this is in the wake of her brother Lazarus' death in John 11, she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. But that's not what we remember Martha for. We remember Martha for being the sister who was complaining about her other sister sitting at Jesus' feet and not helping with the serving. Right? Poor Martha. Right, that's what she gets remembered for. Another person in the Bible who's best remembered for a moment that's not their best moment is Nicodemus. We're going to look at John chapter 3 this morning, verses 1 through 13. And we're going to look at this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. But as we're looking at it, I want you to keep in mind that this story, which is what Nicodemus is best known for, is not the full story for Nicodemus. Now, at the end of the sermon, well, we're going to look at what happened after this with Nicodemus. But first, let's read John chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, 
How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. But Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. All right, now, let's look at this conversation. Let's start by talking about who Nicodemus is. We're told right at the outset that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. We're told that he's a ruler of the Jews, so he's a man of some importance. Later, Jesus even says in verse 10 that Nicodemus is the teacher of Israel. Not just a teacher of Israel, but the teacher of Israel. So Nicodemus is an important man. right? He's a teacher. He's a man who should know the scriptures well. And he has come to talk to Jesus. Now, normally when we think about the Pharisees, we think of them as the opponents of Jesus. They were hostile toward Jesus, trying to trap Jesus. But at this point, Nicodemus does not seem hostile toward Jesus in the least. In fact, quite the contrary. Now, he is uh, being a little secretive, it seems, Right, because he comes to Jesus by night, and we don't know if that's because he didn't want to appear to publicly endorse Jesus at this point. Uh, we don't know if maybe some of the other Pharisees already were hostile toward Jesus, and Nicodemus didn't want them all to know that he was coming to talk to Jesus, or whether it was for some other reason. But Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he says to Jesus what he thinks he knows about Jesus. Verse 2, it says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do, unless God is with him. So Nicodemus calls Jesus Rabbi, which is significant, right? That's that's a a title of honor, right? It It just means teacher, Right, so he's calling Jesus a teacher, and not just a teacher, but he says, we know, and I don't know if Nicodemus is just using that plural to kind of talk about himself, or if there's some other people kind of behind Nicodemus uh, that he's representing, but he says, we know that you are a teacher come from God. You're not just a teacher. We know God has sent you. We can tell that. How can they tell? Well, they can tell by what Jesus is doing. Remember, John has told us, he didn't, he didn't describe all the signs that Jesus has done, but Jesus, uh, John tells us in, at the end of chapter 2 that John or Jesus has been doing other signs in Jerusalem that people have seen and people have come to believe, and Nicodemus is one of those who's seen what Jesus is doing. 
And he says, look, I've seen the signs that you've performed, and, and I know God must have sent you, because you couldn't do those things unless God was with you. Now, that's true and good as far as it goes. But it doesn't go far enough. Because you could say the same thing about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was sent from God. Now, John wasn't doing signs, but John was a teacher sent from God. The prophets, right, were teachers sent from God. Jesus is much more than a teacher sent by God. He's much greater than John the Baptist and greater than all the prophets. So Nicodemus isn't wrong, but he doesn't know as much about Jesus as he thinks that he does. And that's why Jesus says what he does in verse 3. Verse 3 has always seemed to me rather abrupt, right? That it seems like Jesus is totally changing the conversation and ignoring what Nicodemus has just said. But this time going through the passage, it struck me differently. I think what Jesus is doing, when he says in verse 3, it says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I think what Jesus is doing is he is responding to what Nicodemus just said. And he's telling Nicodemus why Nicodemus doesn't yet really get it. Nicodemus thinks he knows who Jesus is. I figured it out. You're a teacher come from God. And it's as though Jesus is saying, you just don't quite see it yet. And the reason why, Nicodemus, is you haven't been born again. Because here's the thing. What is the kingdom of God? Right? The, the best simple definition that I've ever come across for the kingdom of God is the kingdom of God is God's saving reign. It's God coming to save his people and reign over them for his good, for their good. Who is the king who brings the kingdom of God? It's Jesus, right? So Jesus in his beginning of his ministry, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand, right? The kingdom of God is among you or in your midst, Jesus says later. Jesus is the king who has come to save his people. He he has brought the kingdom of God. And so there's Jesus sitting in front of Nicodemus as the king of God's kingdom, come to save God's people. And Nicodemus says, I figured it out. You're a good teacher sent from God. And Jesus, it's almost like he shakes his head and says, You can't even see what's right in front of you. Not until you're born again. You you won't see me for who I really am until you've been born again. That's what Jesus is saying. That's why he says that there. No one can see the kingdom of God, Nicodemus, unless he's born again. You're missing it, even though it's right in front of your face. Later in verse 5, Jesus will say the same thing in a slightly different way. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So you can't see the kingdom, Nicodemus, unless you're born again. And you can't enter the kingdom unless you're born again. Which means, Nicodemus, you're outside of God's kingdom. Which probably would have been a disturbing thing for Nicodemus to hear. 
You're outside God's kingdom, Nicodemus. You can't see God's kingdom even though it's right in front of you. You're watching the signs. You're talking to me. But you don't realize that I'm the Son of God. That I'm God in the flesh. That I am God come to save you and the rest of my people. I am the King, the Messiah. He doesn't see it. Because he hasn't yet been born again. This truth that Jesus is talking about, that you can't see or enter the kingdom until you're born again, is why people can hear the gospel, they can hear the good news about Jesus over and over and over and be indifferent to him or think, well, he's just a good man, he was just a good teacher. And then at some point, something happens and all of a sudden they know, He's the Lord. He's the Savior. I need Him. I trust Him. I want to follow Him. I want to give myself to Him. What happened? Somewhere along the way, whether gradually over time or in a moment, that person was born again. And being born again, they see Jesus for the first time for who He really is. That we can hear about Him, and see Him in the Bible, and yet not really care about Him, not really trust Him, not really, you know, uh, change our lives, so to speak, uh, turn from our sin and trust Him. Lots of people do that. Right? Lots of people have kind of some relationship to the church and to the Bible. They pray occasionally, they read occasionally, they go to church occasionally. But they don't, they don't think about Jesus. They don't trust Jesus. They don't, they don't believe He's God. And then at some point, something changes. What is that? It's the new birth. It's being born again. Only at that point can you see Jesus for who He really is. Now, Nicodemus has questions about this. Right, this, this strikes Nicodemus as something uh, new, perhaps, certainly something he doesn't understand. And so in verse 4, it says, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Now, he asked a second question, but I don't want us to, to get distracted by that second question just yet. I want us to focus on that first question. The word how is the key here. How can a man be born again when he is old? Nicodemus doesn't understand how this happens. What are, what are you talking about? How can someone be born again? How does that work? And Jesus answers him in verse 5. Right? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. So how can a man be born when he's old, Nicodemus wants to know. Jesus says, it's a birth that occurs by water and spirit. And you might say, okay, that doesn't help me a whole lot. <laughs> what does that mean? But here's the thing. Again, later Jesus is going to say to Nicodemus in verse 10, Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Meaning... You should understand this because you teach Israel the Bible, right? The Old Testament. Which I take to mean that 
what Jesus is talking about is something that's not brand new. It's something that was taught in the Old Testament that Nicodemus ought to know about. So some people have explained this water and spirit imagery by saying, you know, the water refers to baptism. That's possible, right? Or the water refers to our physical birth, and then the spirit refers to our spiritual birth. That's possible as well. But the interpretation that makes the most sense to me, and I didn't come up with this, I was taught this, this is the one that I think it makes the most sense, is that Jesus is referring to Ezekiel 36, which we read earlier in the service, which is a promise about the new covenant, about what God would do to save his people and make them new. Right, so back in Ezekiel 26, this is what the prophet said. Now, have in your mind Jesus saying, Nicodemus, here's how... This birth works. It's by water and spirit. Okay, I think when Jesus said that, he expected bells to go off in Nicodemus' head. Water and spirit. Where have I heard that before? Where have those two things been put together before? Here's what Ezekiel said, or God speaking through Ezekiel. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and all your From all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. I will cleanse you with water and I will give you my spirit. How can somebody be born again, Nicodemus wants to know. Jesus says it's by water and spirit. Right? Here's what Ezekiel says. You're gonna, God is going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. If you get a new heart and a new spirit, what are you? You're a new person. You're a new creation. You've got a new life, a new start. You're, you're, you're changed. Right? Ezekiel even says that when that happens, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You've been straying, you've been sinning and and giving yourself to idols, but now I'm going to cause you to walk in my ways. You're going to do what's right and good. You're going to have a new identity, a new life, a new trajectory. You're going to live differently. You're going to be new. So what Jesus is saying when he says you have to be born again, is he, he's just using different words to say the same thing that Ezekiel said. You need God to make you new, Nicodemus. You've got a heart of stone. You need God to give you a heart of flesh. You need a new spirit. You, you need a new identity, a new life. Paul talks about the same thing in his letters in, in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He says, God saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Washing implies water. Regeneration is another way of saying new birth, generating something anew. And the renewal, the new life of the Holy Spirit. Or, the way Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away, behold, the new has come. All of those are ways of saying the same thing. 
I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. I'm going to put my own spirit within you. You need to be born again. You need to be washed, renewed, regenerated by the work of the Spirit. You need to be a new creation in Christ. Those are all talking about the same thing. We need God to do something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. And apart from that, we can't see or enter the kingdom of God. Salvation is a work of God. And we can't control it. Nicodemus, after he says, how can a man be born when he's old? Says, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Right Now, Nicodemus knows the answer to that, just like you and I do. He's, it's, it feels like he's grasping at straws here. Right? <laughs> Surely you can't be saying what I think you're saying. And Jesus says, no, that's not what I'm saying. Right? That's why he says in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Nicodemus, that's what you're thinking about. You're thinking about a physical birth. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's what I'm talking about. You've already been born physically, Nicodemus. I'm not talking about needing that to happen again. Physically, you exist. You've been born. You're alive. You need a spiritual birth. You need God to do an inward work in you to make you new. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And that's what you need, Nicodemus. That's what Ezekiel was talking about. A new heart, a new spirit. The Holy Spirit himself coming to dwell inside of you. Do not marvel, he says in verse 7, that I said to you, you must be born again. This, This should not surprise you, Nicodemus. You should know these things, but you can't control these things. Verse 8 says, the wind blows where it wishes. And there's this fun word play in in John's original uh, language we can't really see in English. You might have a note about it in your Bible, but the the same word means wind and spirit. So when he says the wind blows, you have to kind of hear wind and spirit at the same time. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Nicodemus being born again, the work of the Holy Spirit and bringing new life, it's like the wind. You can hear it, you can feel it, But you can't control it and you can't predict it. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. You can't chase it down. You can't find the point of origin of the wind. It just comes and goes as it pleases. And you see its effects, but you can't control it. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit, Jesus says. You never know when the Holy Spirit is going to come and give someone a new heart, give someone a new life. You can pray for someone for decades and get to a point where you feel like, I don't even know why I'm praying for this person anymore. They've not cared about Jesus, been indifferent toward Jesus for so long, nothing I can do, nothing I can say, and apparently not even the prayers I pray make any difference. And then one day they can just be sitting in their car somewhere, and the next thing they know, they're weeping, asking Jesus to save them. Where'd that come from? The wind of the Spirit blows wherever it wishes. 
does as he pleases, when he pleases. We can't control it, can't predict it, but God does it. He brings new birth. He can save anyone at any time. Now, Nicodemus um, doesn't do so well in this conversation, right? And it's, if anything, it gets a little worse here at the end. Verse 9 says, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And that's when Jesus answered him and said, are you not the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Nicodemus, you should know this. You should get this. I should not have to be explaining this to you over and over multiple different ways. You should know the Bible well enough to know what I'm talking about. But he doesn't. Verse 11, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Nicodemus, if you knew who I was, if you knew what I'd seen, if you knew how much I know, you should believe whatever I tell you, even if you don't understand it. But you're not receiving my testimony. Verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus just says it plainly. Nicodemus does not believe. He doesn't believe what Jesus has told him. And Jesus says, I'm not even talking about heavenly things yet. I mean, I I could tell you stuff, Nicodemus, that would blow your mind. I'm just talking about earthly stuff and you don't get it. I'm just talking about what the Spirit does down here among normal people. But here's who I am, verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Nicodemus, I'm from heaven. I'm the Son of Man. I've seen what nobody else down here has seen. I'm the only one who's been up there and come down here to reveal things to you. And you can't even grasp these simple earthly things when you're the teacher of Israel. You have missed it, Nicodemus. Now, that's what most of us remember about Nicodemus. And understandably so, because it's a pretty long conversation. It's pretty involved, and it's a pretty famous passage. But it's not all there is to know about Nicodemus. And it's not even Nicodemus' best moment. Later, in John chapter 7, the Pharisees are going to send some men to arrest Jesus. Whether or not the Pharisees are hostile at this point in chapter 3, I don't know. But by chapter 7, they certainly are. And they're trying to have Jesus arrested. And so they send some men to arrest Jesus. And to the Pharisees, great frustration, these men come back empty-handed. And when they're questioned about it, their response is, nobody ever talked like this man, this Jesus. We, We couldn't arrest him. And the Pharisees are angry about that. And they say, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. And then it says, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? 
They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So Nicodemus stood up for Jesus in that moment, even though it cost him some of his reputation. Right? Among his peers, they, they're now thinking, Nicodemus, what, what's wrong with you? Right? The, the men they sent to arrest Jesus, they uh, are looking down their nose at, right? We who know the Bible, we who are smart and spiritual, none of us believe in Jesus. You guys just got swept up with all, like all that ignorant crowd. And then Nicodemus says, well, hold on a minute. Are we going to judge this man without giving him a hearing? And they pounce on Nicodemus too. What's wrong with you? You also from Galilee? You ought to know that no prophet comes from Galilee, Nicodemus. And that wasn't all Nicodemus did. Sometimes you, if, if you take a hit like that for somebody, sometimes you say, okay, I've done enough. That, that, that's all. But here's the last thing we're told that Nicodemus did. When Jesus was arrested and crucified, his disciples kept their distance, right? Because if, you're, if the man you're following gets put to death, you're thinking, I'm, I'm probably not far down that list. I could be next. I could be right there with him. Right? So the disciples keep their distance when Jesus is crucified. But here's what John tells us happened right after Jesus' death. It says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. You probably remember Joseph's name, and you probably remember this story. But here's the part of the story we might have forgotten. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they, Joseph and Nicodemus, took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now, John does not specifically say that Nicodemus had become a disciple at this point, or that he believed at this point, but if he didn't, he sure seems close. And after all, the Spirit blows where he wishes. And perhaps, when Nicodemus heard that the body he had placed in the tomb was no longer there, that same Spirit breathed upon Nicodemus and enabled him to see what he couldn't see on that first visit to Jesus. I hope so. And I pray the same Spirit would breathe upon us and bring new life in this place and to those we love who don't yet see the kingdom of God or know our great King, Jesus. Let's pray.